0: She is the CEO of Horizon, a financial business information and media company, and is responsible for the company's 30-plus brands. Gemma Postalweight dives into her journey of becoming a female CEO and how she's leading change in the finance industry. Prior to joining Horizon, she served as CEO of Pyra Energy Group and led their sale to S&P Global. As a woman in power, she shares insight on how she manages a large firm, how she champions other women in the industry and how to navigate running a business during COVID-19. Meet the leaders shaping the new era of credit. This is the Vantage Core podcast. Today, we talk to Gemma Postalway, CEO of Horizon. I grew up all over the place is the short version. The slightly longer one is I'm British born and grew up in, Northbourne born in London, England, but truthfully spent most of my school age years at least in Brussels, Belgium and Paris, France. So I'm a little bit of a nomad. I have two sisters. I'm the middle one. So I think it's true what they say about middle children. I went to university back in the UK, the University of Kent in Canterbury, England. I studied European studies, law and politics, which truthfully the largest component of that curriculum was really the formation of the European Union. So I joke that had I actually stayed in the law field with European studies, I would have probably been very useful during the Brexit discussions for sure. So I've been able to, uh, I was able to put some of that back to work to try and understand and follow along the complexity of Brexit. I left university, I think like lots of us, certainly for myself, not entirely clear on what it was that I really wanted to do. I actually graduated with my degree. And I actually initially applied to work at investment banks. And in truth, I did that because that's what all my friends were doing. I will tell you that when I interviewed, I had a very hard time understanding what they did and what the products were and what exactly it would be that I would be doing. So I struggled a little bit with that. And something in my mind told me that I needed to stop thinking about what everybody else was doing and figure out a way where I was going to stand out from the crowd or differentiate myself in some capacity. So I actually applied for a job that I was most definitely not qualified for. I applied to the Dow Chemical Company to participate in their graduate finance rotation program. So working with their CFO for Europe. And I think the qualifications at the time were that you had to speak fluent German and you had to have a finance degree. And I had neither of those. I spoke fluent French and a little bit of Flemish, but I most certainly didn't speak German. And after a lot of persuasion, the recruiter finally, I think, gave up and agreed to let me into the process. And the CFO of Dow Chemical Europe and I, even today, have remained friends. And I still consider him a mentor of mine. He took a chance on me and saw something of some potential. And so I started out really falling into the back office finance function at the Dell Company. I was presented with an opportunity to actually join a startup. And this was a startup called Analytics. They were in the software space, and they were the very first software company to try to solve for workflow in the venture capital community. So this was everything from managing venture capital deal pipeline all the way through to limited partner reporting and fund accounting. And I joined as an implementation analyst and got to implement some of the very first software into venture capital firms to help them with better and improved systems and workflow. So I went from one of the largest companies or the largest company I've ever worked for to a startup, which was an interesting transition. So there's a gap of probably about 15 years or so between my startup years and where I am today. I've grown up through the information services industry, and I spent probably, I suppose, the most informative years of my career at Thomson Financial, which was then Thomson Reuters and now Refinitiv. It's been through several iterations of its own over the last few years, and I grew up through the product ranks. Source Media is kind of an interesting story. It's now a but when I joined, we were called Source Media. And interestingly, Source Media came along as an opportunity for the CEO role through a very conventional executive search process but source media was not unknown to me because it was actually a carve out from Thomson Financial from mm-hmm. approximately 10 years prior so these were assets that I was actually familiar with when I actually was back in Thomson Financial so small world that this came sort of you know full uh, journey back and the business that I was at least aware of and, and to some degree quite familiar with some of the assets We are a business information company empowering people in financial and professional services to lead. How we do that is by offering unique insight and analysis, convening the foremost industry leaders on important issues of the day, and delivering definitive research and benchmarking that helps our clients advance their thinking, their businesses, and their personal careers. We have a belief both for our employees and for our clients that everyone has the potential to lead and with powerful ideas and a strong network behind you, anyone can go from unsung hero, if you like, to industry change maker. And our job, honestly, is to uncover those transformative ideas, to rally leaders around them, to set them in motion, and then to redefine industry standards by measuring their impact. In a nutshell, that's what we do. Any challenge to a new role, whether you're running a division, a team, or taking the reins of a company, always presents some challenges. I think in this iteration, taking the reins at Horizon was my second CEO role. So hopefully, you put in practice some of the things you've learned along the way. Somebody asked me actually recently, you know, when you look back and you think about what advice you would have or what did you focus on when you took the reins to make sure that you could face challenges sort of head on, if you like, what were some of the things and best practices that you focused in on when you joined the organization? And it's funny, one of the most common pieces of advice you always hear when you take on any new role or any new challenge is make sure you've got a hundred day plan, right? And a checklist. And it's great advice, but a checklist will help you stay organized it helps you make sure you're looking at some of the fundamentals, but it's not a guarantee of success. Checklists like that tend to be very inner-directed. And I think if you spend a lot of time just only in that mode of ticking off your 100-day plan, you forget to build some of the key relationships and build the connection, trust, and support you need from the entire organization to be on your team. So, you know, I think about, a few things that I have focused on over the years that I think are really important, especially when you join an organization and you think about getting going. And one of the things I always say is get to the data fast. And by that, I mean, I think that we all create stories, narratives about our company's journeys and the roles that we take within them. And it's very easy when you join an organization to quickly fall in love with somebody and their narrative before you get to the facts. So I tell everybody, you know, getting fluent in the company's metrics, even before you step foot in the building, if you can, is super important. As one example of something I've tried to do to make sure I can avoid those challenges. I also think you have to focus on seeking the good and the bad. There's a big temptation when you walk into a new organization to look for the things that aren't working well You catch yourself saying things like, oh my goodness, you can't imagine what I found out today. And we don't spend enough time asking our teams, what do we do really well? And so that you can make sure that you celebrate the successes, that you understand the foundations of strength in the business right out of the gate. I also think that coupled with that, you have to be very careful not to admire problems, right? I think it's very easy, again, to be able to take a stand back and you know with clear eyes go, well, that doesn't work. This doesn't work. And instead, you have to find, when you do identify those things, you have to own it right out of the gate. Make it yours. Make sure the team knows you're on their side. This isn't about identifying things everybody else got wrong. This is now yours. You own it. You build a ton of credibility and a ton of trust. And you demonstrate that you're in the trenches with everybody else. It helps a lot too. I also am a huge believer in getting out in the industry fast, talking to our clients, right? They're the arbiters ultimately of our success and their perspective is essential. So don't wait too long. Lastly, the thing that I think about a lot when taking on a new opportunity like this is ensuring that you communicate early and often better to communicate often than get it right necessarily in those early weeks and months. And it's very difficult, at least for me, to resist the temptation to make sure you've got all the answers, you know exactly what you want to be able to do with the organization, what the vision and the strategy is. And I've learned that you're better off saying, here's how we're going to approach together, making sure we understand what our insights are that might inform our strategy and how that strategy might inform how we'll align our organization and what we'll work on together and where we'll use our resources. So I think about communication as a key part. And I think we did a reasonable job in the early weeks and months of doing those things. And they've really become a key part of the DNA of the culture of the company. How have we navigated the pandemic and how's our organization adapted? I have been so proud of how our organization has adapted. Like all of us, the first few days and couple of weeks of this pandemic were largely about business continuity, adapting to working from home fully and making sure we could deliver for our customers an uninterrupted service. And I think we did that fairly flawlessly. What then became really clear was that we were going to have to double down on ways that were going to keep us connected as an organization, connected to our mission, connected to what we needed to achieve and connected to each other. And to that end, we've increased our communication considerably. Back in the office, we would have an all-hands company meeting every month. Now we have them every single Friday. And those have evolved too from not just talking about our business updates, but they encompass things like getting to know our colleagues. They encompass showcasing real life things that are going on. They were bringing in outside speakers, and creating a dialogue that's about our customers, about our products and services, but is also set in the reality of what we're solving for personally and professionally during this time. We do pulse surveys frequently amongst our employees to understand how people are feeling. And our engagement levels have soared during this period, which has been wonderful to see. And I think what we hear very often is that actually working from home has leveled the playing field For people who were never actually in one of our physical offices, we have a number of employees who have always worked remotely. Those people are more engaged than ever because we've created a very level playing field for everybody now. They see more of me on video instead of hearing me on the phone. Those kinds of things that are really meaningful. We've learned to have fun together and take time to focus on our wellness. So whether we do wellness Wednesdays and we're doing stretching and meditation and we are trying to entertain people's children and support our parents who are home. We're trying to be cognizant of the mental health of every constituent in our organization, as well as measures of productivity, et cetera, that you you would traditionally look for. Like every CEO, we've learned a lot, we've demystified a lot, and we've clarified a lot about what working from home and what a flexible workforce should look like. I think in the future, we're going to have to nurture flexibility in an even more meaningful way. I think we are going to have to think very differently about how we measure productivity. And we're going to have to think even harder about the role of technology in our organization. So we're busy reimagining what we will look like as a company when we can get back to using physical spaces, both for our employees and for our customers. In terms of has the pandemic changed or altered our strategy, the truth is it hasn't changed the strategy, but it's forced us to accelerate our strategy. So in the spirit of not letting a a good crisis go to waste, I think that we've done a remarkable job. I'm incredibly proud of the team. We have a significant live event business that forms a part of what we do. We were producing close to 30 live events a year. We had always actually been on a path to create a digital platform that actually didn't depend on having a a once-a-year gathering to convene people, that that community would actually be formed 365 days a year on our platforms. And so we've accelerated that significantly and actually just this week launched Leaders, which is a brand new platform that convenes senior leaders across the industry To bring them together, to discuss best practices, uncover some of these transformative ideas I was talking about earlier, set them in motion. I've been a member of Vistage for probably six years or so now. So I meet monthly with a group of about 17 other CEOs, most of whom we've been together in the group for getting close to those six years. And we use that time to listen to outside speakers, but predominantly to issue process and solve for things that we're all dealing with in our businesses. And that's been unbelievably valuable during this period. It's true what they say, there are times where it feels lonely in this role. And so that's an incredibly important and safe forum to collaborate in. The other is I'm really fortunate to be part of a group of women CEOs, and senior leaders who typically meet in person annually, but we have lots of meetups throughout the year. This group actually has three former bosses of mine, so role models and people that I have been so incredibly blessed to know and learn from throughout my career. And that group has convened frequently also and been just a wonderful group. We spend a lot of our time talking about leading with empathy during this period, and also increasingly, what all of this means as we face potentially a more extended period than we ever imagined in a remote working environment. What that might mean for women and for parents, and for the advancement of women in our industry. I had had the opportunity to attend the most powerful women in banking awards. Forgive the analogy, but it's a little bit like the Oscars of Wall Street. It is 17 years in the making, It's a wonderful program that honors and acknowledges 25 most powerful women in banking, and then also future leaders and upcoming leaders in the industry. And it's been an incredibly important platform for advancing women across financial services, and we couldn't be prouder of the efforts we've been doing. One of the things that We're doing through leaders, though, the new platform we've launched is we're convening some of these most powerful women that we've come to know over the years, and we're putting them to work with us to help us focus in on what we can do to actually achieve tangible outcomes that will continue to advance women in financial services. Things like solving the pipeline problem, things like getting more women on boards, and ensuring that companies are truly delivering on the diversity, equity, and inclusion goals that they're setting. So we are having a lot more conversation. And this is a group of women incredibly focused and dedicated on giving back and creating a path for future leaders in the industry. My father, on my very first day at the Dell Chemical Company, many years ago, gave me a piece of advice. And he told me that at the end of our careers, there are only two things that are actually going to matter. And those will be reputation and our relationship. And his advice was nurture those things always. And I'm not sure I fully appreciated the weight of that advice until a little later in my career. But I will say that it has been the basis for many of the opportunities that I've personally been given professionally and personally over the years. It's allowed me to work for people I consider role models today, to work alongside people I consider role models. It won't always feel equitable, but it doesn't matter. Again, your reputation at the end of it will be exactly what you would hope. What advice do I have for young women trying to break through the glass ceiling? You know, I think that you have to You have to lead with confidence. I think that the hardest thing I see for myself and for lots of women is our confidence. And it shows up in all ways we've heard and read about, right? The imposter syndrome, our ability to ask for the job, our fear of failure. I think it's finding ways to build confidence and something that actually, through my Vistage group, somebody reframed this for me a few years ago. And they said that if you could lose the word confidence, and replace it with conviction, wouldn't a lot of problems go away? And if you think about that, what that means is instead of worrying about, am I confident enough to put my hand up in the meeting? Am I confident enough to ask for the job? Ask yourself if you have conviction because conviction comes from knowing your stuff, right? Knowing your facts, being clear about what the objective is and objectively thinking about the criteria Your role in it. And it takes this idea and the subjectivity out of the equation. So I would tell people when you think about confidence, change the word to conviction and ask yourself if you have conviction. Do you have conviction that you should ask for that pay rise? Do you have conviction that you can do that job just as well as any other candidate applying? Do you have conviction that you should put your hand up in the meeting and point something out that is different than what somebody else is saying? Those things will help you leave behind some of the confidence crisis that I think I'd still see, uh, experience it myself, but I also think I see it in so many young women. This podcast is brought to you by Vantage Core Solutions, a higher level of confidence. Thanks for listening.